Well, good morning, Life Spring. I'm back. <laughs> it's been a little while. It's been a while. But I'm so glad to have the opportunity. I'm so honored to preach a little bit, preach and teach. And uh, we'll see if this can help you not only get from here to glory, but get from here to Thursday. Amen? <laughs> Sometimes we just need to get from here to Thursday. So we're going to be doing that. But uh, uh, we've been doing a series on Amped, right? Amped up. Here we go up. And uh, we, first we had it on access. We had a series on access. Access. Wow. Access. Wow, don't trouble on that one. And now we've been on move. <laughs> move. Move toward wisdom. Move toward healthy emotions. Move toward a healthy community. And uh, today it's moving to a healthy place. I retitled it. How to get unstuck and move forward with Jesus. Anybody been stuck? Anybody been, anybody been in the ditch spiritually, physically, financially? Boy, I have. So we're going to get unstuck this morning. So before we do that, uh, how many brought their Bibles? Wave your, wave your Bible at me. How many Bibles we got in the house? Wow, actually pretty good. Now reach for your cell phone and grab your cell phone. How many cell phones we got in the house? Hold, hold them up. Wow, not as many. Wow, that's actually surprising. Top ten list. What if we treated our Bibles like we treat our cell phones? What would that be like? Well, here we go. Got that graphic? Look at that. What if we treated our Bibles like we treat our cell phones? Number ten, we'd be desperate to have one. <laughs> Number nine, we'd wait in long lines just to get the newest updated version. <laughs> Number eight, we would be willing to pay hundreds of dollars just to have the newest one. Number seven, we couldn't wait to show it off to all our friends and tell them all about it. Yeah. Is that true? Number six, we'd carry it in our pocket or our purse all the time. We'd frantically, number, what is this, five? Number five, we'd frantically search for it when we lose it or misplace it. Number four, we'd always have it with us in case of an emergency. Number three... And I've seen this with family members that are here this morning that are teenagers. We would feel stressed, depressed, uncomfortable, and very anxious without it. <laughs> well, hi, guys. We, we went camping last week for a couple of days with the whole family, and there's no Wi-Fi there. You should have seen them struggle with that. It was fun. Number two, it would be the first item on your teenager's Christmas wish list. And everyone say number one. one. We'd always be spending time with it, checking it frequently, looking for new information and updates. Yeah. Isn't that true? <laughs> oh, my goodness. I didn't mean to condemn you. It's just the way we, like, we, the way we do things. But there was more, actually more Bibles hold up than there was phones this morning. So that was kind of surprising. Most of us, how many are just every day is pretty much the same? We get up. We do our morning stuff. We comb our hair. John? <laughs> John, John and, uh, I'll just pick, pick on John. Barely everyone. And so we, we comb our hair. We print. We do that. We have breakfast. We shower. We eat breakfast. We have devotions, right? And then we go to work. Then we have lunch. Then we come home. We have a little dinner. 
and we just kind of go through this routine. Hopefully we talk to our family and our kids and maybe go for a walk, watch a little TV, right, all the stuff. Then we go to bed, and what do we do the next day? Same thing. Get up and do it over and over again. And uh, pretty much every day the same. Every week's the same. Every month is kind of the same. Every year kind of looks like the same year. Many times as believers, we get stuck because our life is kind of routine. We get stuck religiously, spiritually. We're kind of doing the same thing, and we're not really growing too much. I know it's not here. It's not you folks here at LifeSpring, but there's other churches in the community that I go to, and I meet folks all the time, and I talk to them. I say, how are you? What's your name? Where do you go to church? All that kind of stuff. A lot of times it gets around to the question, how long have you been a Christian? Or they'll ask me, but I'll ask them, how long have you been a Christian? And somewhere between six months and 30, 40 years. Praise God, I've been a Christian for 40 years. No, they don't do that. <laughs> and, uh, but you know what the reality is? For those other people, not all of you folks, but the reality is, is that we get saved, we become a Christian, we start growing, and here is time going by. I'm trying to remember how to do this when you guys are out there. But here's time going by, here's a growth chart going by, and all of you are taking steps that you've been growing in your, in your walk with Jesus pretty steadily. But there's other folks that they get saved and then they, for whatever reason, it's not their fault, they just kind of stay at the same level. Maybe they go to a special meeting and they get a miracle in their life, they get an answer to prayer, but pretty much, you know, and it's kind of going up, but there's folks who go like this, there's folks who go steady, and then there's folks that get saved and they don't take it anywhere and they actually go down. They go away from God. But Jesus <laughs> doesn't want that. He doesn't want us to be stuck. He wants us to be in a position where we have growth, where we're growing in him, where we have passion, where we have enthusiasm, where we have belief. He doesn't want us stuck. Anybody like being stuck? Anybody want to get free from that? That's what we're going to try to talk about. Hebrews 11.7 talks about some of the guys and the saints of the, of the faith. And it, in verse 7 it says, it was by what? It was by what? Thank you. That Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God. He warned, God warned him about the things that were going to happen. He told him there's going to be a big storm. There's going to be rain. He goes, what's rain? He says, I want you to go out in the desert. I want you to build a boat. He says, what's a boat? He says, there's going to be every animal on the planet. It's going to come and you're going to float around with your family for a long time. What? (laughs) Like the old Bill Cosby thing? But by his faith... Noah condemned the rest of the world. He received the righteousness of the country. He listened to God. He walked out in God. He had no idea what a, what a rain, what a storm, what a, all that was about. But by faith, he stepped out. Hebrews 11:8. See what happens to Abraham. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed God and called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. Where Abraham lived, it was like a palace. They had indoor running water in the city of Ur back in the day. It was spacious. It was palatial. They had everything that they could want. And God says, I want you to go to a new place, and you don't get to guess where you're going. He says, I just want you to go. So it says, Abraham left without knowing where he was going to go. What if God said, I want you to go to eastern Oregon? And just go. Well, where am I going to live, God? Well, just go. 
Well, what, what, what community am I going to live in? Just go. And so Abraham goes, well, look, i got all of this, God, you know, and you want me to go over here? He was living in tents. He went from the palace to the tents. But he moved. As God told him to go, he moved by faith, and he went where God said, let's go. Sometimes uh, I had an Abraham experience just recently. I moved without knowing where I was going, and I'll explain I'd left my office early. It was a couple of weeks ago when it was like 90 degrees in the afternoon. It was hot. And I left my office, and I stopped in one of the businesses down in Sumner. I came out, and I started to go, and there's the railroad tracks there in Sumner. And I always, regardless whether the crossing bars are there, I always kind of slow down and look just to make sure a train's not coming. Okay? And so I go across, and I start heading home. And so when I was doing that... Um, I was kind of half asleep, and I'm doing that. So I want you to imagine that you're a passenger in my car, my car, and we just got back in the car, and uh, you're riding with me in the car, okay? Everybody close your eyes. Go on, close them. Trust me. Anybody peeking? Okay, still got your eyes closed? You're in the car with me. We're starting to go across the railroad tracks. to tell you I moved where I didn't think I was going. I have a four-wheel car that has four-wheel drive. I spun all four tires. I hit the gas. I was out of there because I knew within seconds I was going to be dead. I'm looking for lights and crossing bars. There's nothing. My heart's pounding. I pull over to the side of the road and I can still hear the train going off. I go, I'm looking. There's no train. Where's the train coming from? And I pull off the side of the road and I realize my son works for Burlington Northern Railroad. His ringtone is a diesel train. And the diesel train was in my pants. <laughs> There's a train in my pants. I, I, I pulled off the side of the road. <laughs> I pulled off to the side of the road. I had no idea what was going on. I could still hear this train. I go. And I, I made sure that I was still dry, and I was, so I didn't have an accident. And I could still hear this train. And I pulled off the side, and I finally realized it's Ryan's ringtone in my pants. I had started howling and laughing at myself. You know, God's perfect timing. But I was moving. I had no idea. <laughs> I had no idea where I was going. I was glad I was dry, but I was going, not knowing where I was going, believing and trusting that that train wasn't going to kill me. But boy, at the time, I thought for sure, where did that train come from? I'm dead. <laughs> oh, man. i got to change the sun's ringtone. Some of you, the last time I spoke, uh, I showed a commercial that I did a long time ago for TiVo when it first came out. If you've got a DVR on your, on your cable system, it's called a digital video recorder. TiVo was the first one. Anyway, I did a commercial for that. I showed it at that time. They played nationwide, all that stuff. A couple of years later, people called me up. And they remembered for that and said, well, I want you to do another commercial. I said, okay, great. So anyway, here's another one. We call it the train guy. And basically, look at the premise. And... But the idea is about being stuck and about moving and getting out of the house. So take a look at yours truly in the train guy. And here we have a neat little tree. It goes right along here along the side. 
New roundhouse, new turntable. It's nice. It's nice. You want to see it again? Yeah. All right. Well, <laughs> we have nowhere to go. Just, it's just us. Okay, one more time. Just for giggles. That's nice. <laughs> and here we have a neat little tree. It goes right along here along the side. <laughs> new roundhouse, new turntable. It's nice. Nice. <laughs> uh, if you're going to live life, have fun while you're doing it. Love you. Thank you. Somebody loves me. I'm glad you did that. Yeah, and so the whole premise about this, this guy is up in Federal Way. His whole basement is filled with trains. Every day, every night, he's in the basement playing with his trains. And the idea behind this commercial, but I was, I was on staff at Gallup Forsker at the time, and they come, did you do another one of those commercial things? I said, yeah, I did. And they said, well, that was sure funny. And they go, what was it about? And I said, the tail end was that the Lucky Eagle Casino had built a new motel, and so the idea was to get out of the house and go to the motel. But I didn't have the heart to tell them as a pastor it was a commercial for the casino. <laughs> yeah. But the concept was get out of the house, get out from being stuck. <laughs> That's nice. That's nice. <laughs> That's nice. <laughs> All right. Apparently it's time for prayer. <laughs> Lord, we thank you. Lord, you have us have a sense of humor. So, Lord, we thank you because you created all of us. So, Lord, we just thank you for this time. Guide the words and your thoughts and your scripture as it speaks to all of us. And Lord, just let it bore deep into our hearts and, and help us to Get out from being stuck. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, just a couple quick quotes. Fear, fear, false evidence appearing real, is a glue that keeps you stuck. Fear will keep you in bondage. Fear will keep you handcuffed. Faith, though, on the other side, is a solvent that sets you free. The WD-40 of life. Write this one down. Regrets look back. Worry looks around. Faith looks up. Regret looks back. Worry looks all around. And faith looks up. Isn't that good? God doesn't look, doesn't review your past to determine your future. We all have a past. Aren't you glad that God doesn't look at your resume or your past efforts and your past life? God looks at you and he says, I don't even want to see your resume. He says, I just want your heart. I just want your life. I just want you to come to me. I don't care what you did in the past. I want to see from here going forward where we're going to go together. Where we're going to go together. There's no past. Another quote kind of on this line. If you live in your past, you'll poison your future. If you live in your past, you'll poison your future. So many of us have been hurt by pastors, we've been hurt by teachers, friends, parents, just, we've been shattered, we've been hurt. And as long as we keep living in there and keep thinking about there and going backwards and looking in the mirror, it'll poison your future. And we're going to get to it, we're, we're going to get past that. 
We're going to get past that and, and how to do that, how to get past that thing, that thing that hurt. If you've been hurt by a pastor, I'm sorry. How many have been hurt by a pastor or a church? Man, hands up all over this, hands up all over the place. My, my hands up a couple times. As a pastor, I apologize. As a pastor, I apologize. I can't apologize for those guys. But we're just like you. We're trying to figure it out. Sometimes we say things really harsh, or we come across like a jerk. And uh, but for those pastors that hurt you, I apologize. So, what are some of the things? What are some of the things that keep us locked up and stuck? Spiritually, in our walk with Jesus. Just give me some words. Things that keep us stuck or locked up. Anger. Fear. Unforgiveness. Big. Huge. Offense. Amen. Anything else? Huh? Grudges. And I heard one over here. Depression. Yeah. Anxiety. Fear. Hopeless. Hopelessness. Regret. Judging, you see all that stuff that we we carry around and can get us stuck and gets us all handcuffed, and then we wonder why we're living kind of this melancholy kind of day after day kind of existence, both physically and spiritually. What are ways to break that? What's the ways to break the chains? What's are some ideas or words that break us and help us sit, get set free spiritually? Forgiveness, Forgiveness. for who? There you go. <laughs> Me, myself, and I, right? Yeah. For others, ourselves, and all those other guys. Okay? Anything else? What helps us get unstuck spiritually? Praise? Reading your Bible? Accountability? Confession? Yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Stepping out, stepping up, doing something new, different. The old thing, loving God, loving people, it's not just a cute little phrase. It's actually part of the great commandment and great commission. Love God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might and your neighbor as yourself. And the willingness to take risk. Something to do that we step up and we're not bound by fear, anger. I had uh, Pastor Buntane way years ago. It said 75%, this is his quote, 75% of the people that are in the hospital are in the hospital because of unforgiveness and unresolved anger and regret. That they've got to the point, now now they're sick. They're sick. They're, they've got all the different diseases going on in their life. And they're there primarily because they've let that anger, that unresentment, that unforgiveness churn around in their bodies and their minds and their hearts for years and years and years. And now they're in the hospital. That was Pastor Buntain. I'll take him at his word. Okay, this faith thing. A couple of verses about what, what in the world is this faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 says this, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. You ever walk toward the front door of a supermarket and you're walking pretty fast and you're walking toward the door and what are you believing? <laughs> you believe in that thing's going to open that little sensor thing's going to read you, Right? That's what faith is. You're walking. You don't know where God's taking you. Like Abraham, you're going without knowing where you're going. You're stepping out and doing something new, and you're walking toward that door, and you're walking fast, and it, you're hoping that go. Have you ever walked toward it and it didn't open? Cold weather will set those things off, and they go. And you got to go. <laughs> Hebrews 
But without faith, it's impossible to please him, Jesus God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently, diligently seek him. Are you seeking God? Are you doing something more than just saying your morning prayer and saying grace and, dear God, thank you for the day? Are you really seeking him? Are you doing something to stir that pot? Ephesians 2, 8, I love this. For grace, for by grace ye have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift to God. Grace, we all know, is the unmerited favor of God. He doesn't have to give us anything, but he decided to give us his grace and his love. And he did everything that he did on the cross, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. And it was an amazing gift that he gave to you. And if we believed and accepted that, and the accepted part is, here's the gift. Here's the gift of salvation. Now, if we just believe it and don't do anything with it, it just kind of sits there. But when we raise our hand and we accept God's grace, then that's when it starts to happen. That's when it starts to happen. We receive his grace by reaching out and accepting it. And 2 Timothy 4, 7, another great verse. It says, I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. I've kept the faith. This is this guy is uh, 16 years old. It's a shirt for running the Sound and Narrows. It's a 12K race every second Saturday in June. And uh, I wore this uh, for about six or seven years. And the first time was after I had my heart attack. And uh, eight months later, I was running the Sound and Narrows with a pastor friend. And um, I was determined there was supposed to be 18,000 people. I was determined that when I ran that race, I was going to have scripture because I knew God had healed me. This last November, I went to the doctor, and he, I said, well, I just celebrated my, my anniversary on September 23rd. He said, well, praise God. Well, he didn't say that because he's from India, and I have no idea how he's, where he goes to church. <laughs> Holy cow, you got saved. So um, I, 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 I digress. But he, but he said, he said, but he said, I crack myself up sometimes. Anyway, so I said, he said, but I said, yeah, I celebrated my anniversary. But he said, well, he said, you know, you were a dead guy, right? You know, you were a dead guy. I never heard him or the previous doctor say you were a dead guy. He said, we were just waiting for you to die. The heart attack where you had it, we were waiting for you to die. We just knew it was going to happen. Well, God showed him. <laughs> God worked a miracle. I'm not supposed to be here. I would have never met any of you. I would have never met any of my grandkids. I wouldn't have the opportunity to do this once in a while. I wouldn't have the opportunity to pray for you and your family. And marry some of you. <laughs> so anyway... I put on the shirt and said, I'm going to the T-shirt shop. I want something on there that's out of those 18,000 people, I was the only one that had scripture on their chest. So I put on the front. I have fought the fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. I wore it proudly. I think the size large. And I'm not, <laughs> I'm not a large anymore. I'm a bigger boy. It'd be a tight fit. And, you know, and people would see this, the praise God, you got, you got scripture on your chest. Oh, man, that means the world to me. Thank you so much. Then on the back, 
when I was recovering, I couldn't even hardly walk before I started training for this thing. I found Psalms 27:14, and it says, Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and I will strengthen your heart. I will strengthen your heart. Really, God? You're going to strengthen my heart? He's going to strengthen your heart too, financially, physically, relationally, wherever you're hurting. God's strengthening you, and he's building you up. So I wore that, and I chugged along the course, and all of a sudden I'd hear somebody coming past me, and normally it was like a 70-year-old lady, and she'd go, praise you, brother, for the scripture. That spoke to my heart, and oh, bless you, sister. And these 70-year-old women are incredible. I'm still here. Wow. Moving from being stuck to moving forward with Jesus, instilling our belief, the believing that he can work miracles and having faith that he can do that. Depend upon God in prayer, reading the word, and then preparing ourselves to do something more than doing the same thing over and over again. Philippians 3, verses 12 to 14. This is great. This is Paul speaking. Paul is a pretty good guy. He was kind of up in the church. He had it all together. But he says this. He says, I don't have it all together. He says, not that I have already retained anything or am I already perfected, but I press on. I press on that I may lay hold of that which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. He's saying, I'm pressing on. I don't have God all figured out. I, there's more for me to do, more to grow. I don't have it figured out but I'm laying hold of everything I can get a hold of and understand step by step by piece uh, that Jesus has for me. And then it says, Brethren, I don't count myself to have apprehended. To understand, to get the big picture. But one thing I do do is forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press forward to the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The visual here is a runner on a course, straining every muscle, trying to get to the finish line and grasping the finish line. It's like, did it. But so many times, Paul was talking about forgetting those things that are in the past. Again, those relationships, that job, that boss, those parents, your environment, the way you were brought up, all the hurts and the pains, the preachers that hurt you, all of that. How many times do you go back and review that? How long are you going to keep going back and looking there? Paul says, forget about it. Now, if you've been really hurt, you may have to get some counseling. You know, you may have to get some help. But the counselor's not going to make you well. You're going to finally get to the point and say, Jesus, I refuse to look in that mirror anymore. I'm going forward. Amen? Amen. Amen. On the side of your car, on the passenger side, you got two rear view mirrors and you got the one inside the car. You got two rear view mirrors. The one on the passenger side has some words at the bottom of the mirror. Ever notice that? For the last 30, 40 years, there's been a little inscription on the bottom of the mirror. Anybody have had an idea what it says in the bottom of the mirror on the right hand side? Yeah, you kind of got it. Yeah. Objects in the mirror are closer than they appear. Objects in the mirror are closer than they appear. All that hurt, all that pain, if you're focusing on this, you can't see the road, you're starting to drive off the road, your life is getting messed up, you're getting stuck, you're going into the ditch. You follow that? You're getting stuck. And that's not where Jesus wants you. We're kind of like 
You know, if our life is kind of like a car and we got these mirrors and we keep looking in the rearview mirror, just stop the car just for a second. And in Jesus' name, get out. And if you can lift your leg up to your waist, get up. Kick the mirror off the car. Come over this side and kick the mirror. I've got to hold the piano so I don't fall over. Kick the mirror. Knock it over. Knock it off. And then when you get back in the car, knock that one that looks in the back inside the car. There's no rear view mirror with Jesus. He's not looking at anything in your past. <laughs> and then get in there and there's this big windshield. And there's this road that goes windy, windy, windy. And you have no idea where it goes. But you know what? The Holy Spirit's sitting right there with you. The most amazing GPS system is God the Father himself. And he's guiding the way. And when you go down around the sneaky corner and you have no idea what's going to be there, guess who's standing there cheering you on? There's Jesus going. Way to go, daughter. Way to go, son. You made it here. Just wait till you get down to the next one. I'll be waiting for you. <laughs> Objects in mirror appear closer than they really are. Spare no cost. Take whatever it takes to start getting out of being stuck. Well-known phrases that talk about moving forward. You maybe have heard this. What you dwell upon, you become. Ever heard that? Here's one. If whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. You're right either way you go. That's Henry Ford. If it's meant to be, it's up to me. That's Coach Frosty Westring from PLU. We love Frosty. Here's one from the Bible. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Proverbs 3.27. Jesus' thoughts on how to move forward and live and how to live our lives. How does Jesus really want us to live our lives? John 10.10, you've all known this. You probably could quote it back to me. But it says the thief doesn't even come around except to steal, kill, and destroy. The devil doesn't come around except to do those three things. Steal from you, kill from you, and destroy you. A lot of times it's just mind games. The devil comes and starts talking to you. Well, you know, if you did this and if you know you ran off with the secretary and you did this and all this kind of crazy stuff and you start to believe and all of a sudden your marriage is south and everything else is south and your relationships are going crazy. But the devil does that. But Jesus says, I come that they may, you may have life. Isn't that cool? That's all he, that's all he gave us. He says, you can have a nice life. Right or wrong? What's the rest of it? Life abundantly. What in the world is abundantly? We don't use that in a sentence. Come that you may have life more abundantly. In the Strong's concordance. <laughs> abundantly means superabundance. This is what Jesus wants for us. Superabundance living. Excessive living. Overflowing. Giant surplus. Over and above anything you can imagine. Profuse. Profuse. Extraordinary. More than enough. This is how Jesus sees how we should live. How you and I should live. Our picture of ourselves is something different. And it's not quite as focused and it's not quite as vibrant. So we got our picture and Jesus has his picture of what we should be doing. Or what we should look like. Amazing thing is when we look in the mirror... We see ourselves. But when we look into Jesus, we see him. So we get Jesus in front of us and put our picture in front of him. And suddenly we become more and more like him, step by step. It's not a big, but it's a growth thing. It's a growth thing.
Believing something is good. You need to believe. But just believing something doesn't change your circumstances. But faith will change your circumstances. Faith is acting on what you believe. James 1.22 says it this way. Be doers of the word, not just hearers. We can come to LifeSpring and we can read the word and we can read the Bible and we can do the offering and we can serve and do all this stuff. But I'm so proud of this church. That was a high sneeze. This, this church reaches out. We, 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 you guys will get clothes for kids that need clothes. They don't even have clothes on their back. The, the, the fundraisers for the youth to, to help people go to Ghana and the team that's going to Ghana, all you guys. Uh, VBS. You know, you stepped up and started saying, let's have a VBS. We haven't had VBS here before, or maybe in the past. And all of a sudden, here's all these kids. And then people that volunteered that had never volunteered as a teacher and a helper stepped up, and they got blessed beyond belief because they started doing what God was telling them to do. They said, well, God, I haven't been around children before. Well, that's fine. Just go do it. And God started to bless. Then we started moving. There's a couple of scriptures I just want to share that shows Jesus' amazement when people operated in faith. Okay? Just a couple that will help you out. New King James, Matthew 8, 5 through 10. This is good. This is now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, the centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home, paralyzed and dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said, hey, I'll come and I'll heal him. The centurion said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should even come under my roof, but, I only, but only say the word. Say the word, Lord, and my servant will be healed. For I'm a man under authority. I have soldiers under me, and I say, go this way, and he goes. I say, and another one come, and he comes, and he said, do this, and he does that. And when Jesus heard this, Jesus heard the man. The man had faith, and Jesus all of a sudden wow, listen to this guy. And it goes on to say, and Jesus marveled. His mouth was going, oh. And he said to those who followed, surely I say to you, I have not, had, I have not found such a great faith, not even in Israel. This man knew Jesus, believed in Jesus, had the faith in Jesus that all he has to do is say the word and his servant's going to be healed. Jesus said, no, I'll come, I'll come and see him. I'll, I'll pray for him. I'll heal him. He said, no, 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 no. Just say the word. Just say the word. And Jesus heard his faith, and he was marveled at what this man would do. Jesus is waiting to be marveled by you. Matthew 8, 23 to 26. You all know the story. It says, Now when Jesus got into the boat, his disciples followed him, and suddenly there was a great tempest, great storm arose on the sea. So the boat was covered with waves, but he was asleep. Then his disciples came to him, woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're perishing. But he said to them, Why are you fearful, O little faith, O you of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the storm. And there was calm. These are uh, experienced fishermen. These are guys who have been fishing for a long time. This is a boat big enough to have at least 13 guys. And they're used to big storms. But this one was special. Jesus was asleep in the back of the boat. And he was just sleeping away. 
Have you ever felt that Jesus was asleep in the back of your boat? <laughs> Anybody? Ever been going through stuff and go, wow, Jesus, where? Where did Jesus go? I'm praying and it's bouncing off the ceiling and nothing, nobody's home. That's the way the disciples and the waves are crashing up over the bow. Experienced fishermen, scared to death. And so they go to wake Jesus. Jesus, well, Lord, there's a big storm. Would you wake up? Jesus? If you're afraid of your life, how are you going to be talking to Jesus? These guys were out of their mind. They're screaming at the top of their lungs. And they're going, Lord, save us. Lord, we're perishing. We're going to die here, Lord. Lord, we're going to die here. And Jesus looks up and he senses what's going on in their life. He senses their fear. In fact, he even says that. He says, he says why are you fearful? Why are you fearful, guys? You've been with me all this time. You've seen miracle after miracle after miracle. And yet here we are, and you're waking me up. Why are you so fearful? And then he goes on to say, why have such little faith? He did it with a smile on his face. These guys have been with him a long time, just like you have been with him a long time, and I've been with the Lord a long time. And sometimes the Lord will say, why you got so little faith, Lord? Why you got such little faith? And put your own name in there. And we cry out to God, Lord, save us. I'm dying here, God. Do you see me here? Do you see my family? Do you see the finances I'm in? Do you see the health that I'm in? And he says, why do you have such little faith? Little faith? It's okay to have little faith. We're not all mega giants in the kingdom. We're all on a journey. We're all learning how to be children of God. And some of us are down here and some of us up here. So if you've got a little faith, all that is is... Faith that lacks confidence. You got baby faith. You trust, but you trust a little bit. And it's just undeveloped faith. Sometimes we've got great big 10-foot corn stalks, and sometimes we've got a little tiny thing coming out of the ground. But Jesus is saying, keep trusting me. Keep walking with me. Keep believing in me. We're going to get through this together like you can't even imagine. The thing that, that abundant thing that I talked to you about, that is really the real deal. But we're not going to get that big deal until we just start to learn to go in steps. And trust me, believe me, walk with me. I'm going to hang on to your hand and we're going to get through this. <laughs> going off script, so hang on. A lot of you know that my brother passed away a couple months ago. And the day before he died, he was really anxious and, and uh, battled cancer for eight years. And he knew I was in the room, and I'd play my, my guitar for him time after time. And I'd barely start the guitar, and he'd start to, he would just calm down, and he would just rest. And I'm singing old church songs and Johnny Cash songs and the Beatles. And, uh, you know. But then he, he would quit. And that day before he died, he would call my name. He wouldn't call his wife's name or one of his kids' name. He's calling my name. He's going, Randy. He's back in the bedroom. Randy. I go in there. I grab his hand. I said, I got you, bro. I got you. I got you right now. Dan, I'm not letting go. I'm not letting go. 
And I put my hand on his hair and I told his hair, I said, I'm not letting go of you. I'm right here. And then he'd take a deep breath and he'd go back to sleep. That happened over and over again. The reason I say that, that's what Jesus is saying to you and me right now. I'm not letting go. I'm right here. No matter what you're going through, I'm not letting go. And I'm right here. And if I'm closer than a brother, I will not ever leave you. I will not forsake you. I love you so much. We're going to get through this together. I'm not letting go. I love you too much to let you go. Mark 2, verses 1 through 12. Again, Jesus is back in Capernaum. This is another neat miracle. It sounds kind of funny, all the miracles he's, he's doing. Jesus kind of gets amazed by the miracle itself. But anyway, again, he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. He was, Jesus is in the house, y'all. <laughs> I digress again. Immediately, many gathered together, so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even the, at the door. The door, the windowsills, out in the yard, there's all these people. And he preached the word. I bet he did. Can you imagine the sermon with Jesus preaching it? Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not get near him and could not get in the house because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was, where Jesus was. So they had broken through and let him down, let down the bed in which the paralytic was lying. And when Jesus saw what? See up there? But Jesus saw their faith. The four guys and the paralytic coming down through the roof. So Jesus is preaching up a storm. They can't get in the door. They figure out a way to get up on the roof. They get their friend up on the roof. Then they tie, tie ropes or whatever and, and tear the roof off, tear the tile off. There's mud and debris. And Jesus is kind of looking like, wow, what is going on here? But Jesus is looking up and he's just amazed. And he said, because when he it says, when Jesus saw their faith, and the room stopped, and here comes this guy coming down out of the ceiling. Jesus saw their faith, and it just marveled him. It had to impress him. It pleased him to no end. And when he came down, he said to the guy, Son, your sins are forgiven. And there were some scribes sitting around also, reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man, Jesus, speak blasphemies like this? No one can forgive sins but God. But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that these guys were reasoning within themselves, kind of doing this little side talk, he said to them, why do you reason about these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven or arise, take up your bed and walk? He's still talking to the scribes. Then he says, but know that the Son of Man has the power on earth to forgive sins. Then he turned back to the paralytic, smiling, compassionate, and full of love. He says, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, go to your house. Immediately this man got up, no longer stuck. He's getting out of the house. Immediately he rose and took his bed and went out of the presence of them all so that they all were amazed and glorified God, saying, we have never, ever seen anything like this. And Jesus looked up and saw their faith. Those guys could have stayed home. They could have said, you know, there's Jesus coming to town. And uh, I hear that he does miracles and all that. And, but isn't that great? But no, they, they forced their way. 
before us. They took steps that they had no idea where they were going, believing that God could do something amazing in their life. And they took all the steps necessary to get from being sitting on the thing to coming through the roof with all the dust and all the stuff. And Jesus saw their faith. He wants to see your faith. He wants to see my faith. Last one. Matthew 9, verses 20 to 22. And suddenly a woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years came from behind and touched the hem of his garment. This lady in Luke had been bleeding for 12 years, went to doctors, spent all her money, couldn't get a cure, and she was bleeding, was weak. My take was that she probably was anemic because she was bleeding all those years for 12 years. And she comes up behind Jesus to touch the hem of his garment. And then it says, she said to herself, if I only can touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made well. So she's already got this thought. If I can touch the hem of his garment, Jesus is going to make me well. And in Luke, it talks about that Jesus being, it was a big crowd. He's being bumped from every side. He finally says, who touched me? Because when she reached up and touched the hem of his garment, he goes, who touched me? He said, what are you talking about? There's people all around bumping you. He says, no, 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 the, the glory has flowed out of me. But Jesus turned around, and when he saw her, he said, Be of good cheer, daughter. Be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. And the woman was made well, and she never had an issue with the blood issue ever again. She had to fight through that crowd. There's a big crowd. This entourage was kind of going, and everyone's bumping Jesus, and he's walking and talking and going through. She said, it says that she, she came up behind him. Well, she came up behind him, and then she touched the hem of his garment. My take is, if you're touching the hem of the garment, you're already on the ground. You've already been kind of beaten and maybe stumbled, and you're on the ground. And Jesus is going by, and you come up behind him, and you're on your knees, and you're reaching out in desperation. <clears throat> and she knew in her heart that she could just get to him, and she reaches out and touches the hem of his garment. And then he turns around smiles at her, Daughter, be of good courage. Be of good courage. Thy faith has made you well. For the woman believing, just believing, she could have stayed at home too and just sat on the curb. Believing that Jesus could do that, maybe not change the situation, but the change did come when she did what she did. I had the honor and opportunity to um, do a memorial service for Holly Harden's grandmother, Monday. And uh, it was a wonderful service. The lady was 91 and a half years old. December 30th, 1922 to June 15th, 2014. 91 and a half. Born, uh, poor as poor can be. Uh, born in Mississippi, picked cotton, raised in a house with her family. A hardly a wood floor on there, no water, no electricity, no odd house. And she picked cotton. But the family believed in God. And they went from there, and they, things got better. Things got better. Eventually, she worked at, during World War II uh, at the, the shipyards. Then she worked for the IRS. Then she had daughters. And she had a family. She has kid, grandkids and great-grandkids. They've been faithful and walked with God for all those years. And that her life and your life is symbolized by that little dash. 
1922 to 2014, just a little dash. We all have different starting points, different arrival dates, and we have different departure dates. But your whole life is going to be summarized by that dash. It was about living for you. It was about living for God. How many years out of those years did you walk with God? How many years were you faithful? How many did you believe for the impossible? How many years did you make a difference in somebody's life? So when it's time for me to go, because the doctor said I was dead 16 years ago, but when it is finally for me to go, I hope you have, that you don't weep for me, you don't grieve for me, that if you think about me, you'll think about me, whatever your impression is of me, (laughs) which is varied throughout the house. (laughs) A lot of you go, how come he's on all that medication? (laughs) I'm not on Anyway, but the, the way I lived and the way I trusted God and believed God, let that speak to you. Let it speak. When you're gone, are people going to be talking about you and grieving and crying and carrying on for you? And that's okay. You can grieve for a while. But are they really going to remember you for how you lived your life and made a ripple effect for Jesus and affected your world and your family and your relationships and the Holy Spirit is spreading out through your life? So when I'm gone, I found a video. And some of you know that I, uh, my degree from University of Puget Sound is in secondary education and music. So I love things that are music. I was supposed to be a teacher and teach a high school choir and band. That didn't work out. Uh, they didn't want anybody like me in the school system. <laughs> Not really. I found this video, and it just has a lot of rhythm. It has amazing harmony, which just floats my boat. It's not a church song, so if you're looking for uh, Nearer My God to Thee, this is not it. But I, I want this, I want this uh, played at my memorial service, which I hope is a long ways away. And then maybe Tivo Cop and the train guy, too. <laughs> Just for giggles. But when you're gone, when your dash is all used up, can people smile and think about that you're gone? They're going to miss you when you're gone and think about it in a positive way. So anyway, take a look at this thing for a second.
<laughs> Hope this has helped as far as realizing the plan that God has for you, what his vision is for your life, abundant life, that how he wants you to live in faith, how he wants you to finish the race, fight the fight, finish the race, keep the faith. If that's you this morning and you're just kind of stuck, it's time to get unstuck. And if you don't know Jesus, this is a perfect time. This is a perfect time to know the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and let him make him be part of your life. And not just on the outside and where it just kind of decreases, but one of those growing Christians that start to take off and grow that we talked about. So, if that's you this morning and you've been kind of doing the same thing over and over again and you're just kind of stuck, spiritually I'm talking about, and you said, man, when it comes to the end of time, I want, I want, to, I want to have a life that's, that's worth something. Jesus said that I come that you have hope, a plan of hope in the future. And that's what he wants for you. So if this is you this morning and you don't have that, but you want to start moving toward that in little steps, not great big, but start moving and start changing and being a little more proactive with your life spiritually. If that's you this morning, you say, yeah, that's me. Pray for me that way, Randy. Pray for me that way. Uh, just show of hands. Just anybody? That's where you want to go? Mm-hmm. Raise your hand. Yeah, raise your hand. Yeah.